Welcome back. It's time for more Bill's Big Bag of Onions. I'm 50,000 watts of power on that top radio. I got so many beats Do something for me, boy. If I should die at sea. Boy, write a little note, boy, and set it off afloat. Say, and bless you, bless you, all of you pretty girls, village and city girls by the quayside. Bless you, bless you, all of you pretty girls watching and waiting by the sea. Bless you, bless you. Girls, quiet and witty girls by the quayside. Bless you, bless you, all of you witty girls watching and waiting there for me. I drew up by your pillows waving. When I see the caps up on the green and the rock and roll across the ocean, drew up by you every night. I'm Harmer earned herself a place in history on March the 25th, 1993, when she flew as first officer on a British Airways Concorde from Heathrow to New York. She would be the only woman pilot flying Concorde for the remaining 10 years of its commercial life. Her journey to the top was unusual in more ways than one. She was born in Loughton, Essex, the youngest of four girls. After the family moved to Bognor Regis, she attended a convent school, which she left at 15 to train as a hairdresser. My parents didn't exactly encourage me to become a hairdresser, they just discouraged me from going and working with horses. And in their eyes, that hairdressing was the thing that girls would do. But after five years, she realised she wanted to fly, so she took a job as a trainee air traffic controller at Gatwick Airport and took out a bank loan to pay for her flying lessons. It took 100 job applications before she got her first job with a small commuter airline, later joining British Airways.
Dame Barbara Mills was the successful barrister who became the first woman director of public prosecutions. She was born Barbara Warnock, the daughter of a vet. She won a scholarship to study law at Oxford University. It was here that she met her future husband, John Mills. I spoke to John and to their daughter, Lizzie Soles. She was always very determined right from the very beginning about what she wanted to do. She was absolutely determined to get uh, to the bar, although it was very much more difficult for a woman to do so in those days than it is now. Well, the classic one was women can't be barristers, uh, and that was repeated in one form or another by a number of people, rather surprisingly by dons who were interviewing me with a view to reading law, by a number of lawyers themselves. Um, but I thought this couldn't be right, and so I persevered, and I'm very glad I did. With one hand stuck fast to the side of your face Your backside in the air, mouth half open But still filled with grace Thank you. 
Geraldine Ferraro was the first woman to stand for the job of vice president of the USA. She came from a poor Italian-American family in New York's South Bronx district. After winning a scholarship to high school, she qualified as a lawyer before becoming the congresswoman for Queens. In 1984, the Democratic presidential nominee Walter Mondale was looking for a way to re-energize his faltering campaign. He was up against a highly popular Ronald Reagan, who was the favorite to win and secure his second term. But her effect on the campaign wasn't entirely positive, was it? Because she began to be dogged by allegations about her husband's tax affairs, and indeed yeah. her own tax affairs. Yes, it was clear that by today's standards, at any rate, she was not vetted thoroughly. So her tax affairs became a headline in the campaign for well, 10 they, days, they sort of valuable they, days. Yeah, 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 they took over. It became the only thing anybody talked about for a while. And like you said, 10 valuable days. I mean, the actual duration of that general election campaign was not very long. It was only about eight or nine or ten weeks. So when you're talking about losing ten days to questions about somebody's ethics, it's absolutely fatal. The fragments of spoken word are the onions. Crafted eclectic music provides the big bag. And Bill is the only broadcaster in Northeast Essex who could be bothered to do it. That's why this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Joyce Bennett, who's died aged 92, was the first Englishwoman to be ordained as a priest in the Anglican Communion. The ceremony took place in Hong Kong in 1971. But Joyce wasn't the first woman to become an Anglican priest. That distinction fell to the Reverend Florence Lee Tim Oi, who'd been ordained amidst great controversy in 1944, also in Hong Kong. Joyce Bennett was born in London. 
she recalled a prescient incident whilst playing with her brother George as a child. My parents would go to the Holy Communion service at St Peter's and George and I were left behind and that was when he began to, to play at being the vicar and I was the congregation and uh, he didn't like my suggestion that it's my turn to preach now. <laughs> he said, oh no, girls don't do that. Goddess, global icon, sex symbol, call her what you will. Dame Elizabeth Taylor was one of the first modern celebrities, defined as much by her life as her work. Married eight times to seven men, she publicly struggled with ill health, drink and drug addiction. But she also raised millions for AIDS charities and produced some of the outstanding movie performances of the 20th century. Her relationship with Richard Burton, which started on the set of the film Cleopatra, is the stuff of romantic legend. Their tempestuous passion was played out in the international media spotlight. But it was her movie acting that laid the foundations of her fame. Playing hot or colder 
just sanity You're treating us so roughly Though I disagree She listens and she sees Sees you getting colder Sees you getting further Polystyrene was an icon of the punk era. The lead singer of the band X-Ray Specs was noted for her outrageous fluorescent costumes and for wearing braces on her teeth. X-Ray Specs were formed after Polly placed an ad calling for young punks who want to stick it together. Polystyrene was born Marianne Joan Elliott Said in Bromley in Kent. She ran away from home when she was 15 and hitchhiked away around music festivals. But as she explained in her last radio interview recorded just a month ago, she did have some training as an opera singer. I did train in Wigmore Studios at Wigmore Hall. My singing teacher said I was a soprano and I could have gone into that. He always used to tell me, don't give it all away, save some of it for a rainy day, because I used to go in there and belt it out. This is Colm Radio on 106.6 FM and you're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions, the late-night blend of music and words that says and means so much and yet never really explains anything. Help. 
The design itself is, is one colour, it's uh, black and white, and the background to the design is random lines across the page, almost like the static on a television set. And set within that are motifs of modern domestic design. So we've got a modern chair, a plant pot on a stand, we've got a, a pallet-shaped table, a whole variety of different forms. The most iconic part, I suppose, are the, are the plates, because those show off the motifs to the best advantage. But it was designed initially as a breakfast set, cups, saucers, uh, cereal bowls, also teapots and coffee pots. And there was something about the design that was just completely fresh for the period. It's a very stark, very contemporary design. It really does stand out and eventually became, came to symbolise post-war design. surrealist artist Leonora Carrington led an eventful life. She ended it living in Mexico City where she was seen as a national treasure. Her relative Joanna Moorhead curated an exhibition of her work and interviewed her. Okay, I think it's working. Will you say something into this and see if I can... Mm, the time has come, the wall has said, to talk of many things. Of shoes and ships and sealing wax and cabbages and kings. Leonora was born in Lancashire, the daughter of a self-made millionaire. Lancashire born, Lancashire bred, strong in the arm and weak in the head. She grew up in the Gothic surroundings of Crookhay Hall near Garstang. I had three brothers, all bigger than me and stronger than me, and they used to throw stones at me. I remember that. Oh, 
footstops to average Melaniano I had a house and a family and a yard Though I did not know them and did not know it But I lived somehow I woke up in Hampstead Heath which is where they frequently went every Sunday and uh, they went up and saw the Mosley's black shirts and he was standing on a soapbox it was a bit like uh, High Park Corner and her father who was her hero uh, obviously most of her life asked a question in his articulate way and this black shirt knew no answer and said shut up you dirty Jew and as she describes it was like a dagger going into her heart she'd never experienced anything like this before I never knew an activist like her frankly and I've met many in my life uh, she was you know the activist's activist I remember being on an open top bus going around in London I think in 1999 it was with Mim bellowing through a microphone about the terrible um, military regime in Burma and terrifying people on the streets of London <laughs> listening to Colne Radio on 106.6 FM and this is your late night journey through intriguing spoken word and sometimes undeservedly unfamiliar music. Yes, it's Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Never know the heart 
Siegel was one of the world's leading psychoanalysts. She trained under the eminent analyst Melanie Klein and was a leading exponent of her ideas. She was born Hanna Poznanska in the Polish city of Łódź. Her father was a barrister, an art critic and a newspaper editor. Hanna's four-year-old sister died when she was still very young, as she told Sue Lawley on Desert Island Discs. My parents had no idea about children and my sister was the only stable object by whom I actually felt love. I remember very much being loved by her, holding hands, things like that. What did she die of? Scarlet fever. You were two, I think, at the I time. I was just around two, and the maid constantly gossiped how much better it would be if I had died. So Hannah Siegel had a lonely childhood as the family moved around Europe, ending up in the UK in 1940. Someone should have done what he had to do years ago. Position is coming through. All the people that you're standing on, all the people that you're standing on. Now you're heading down to be someone, someone that you've seen in a magazine. Your premonition is coming true. Oh, baby, you're not so green. No, baby, you're not so green No, baby, you're not so systematic Waking up the dead Systematically stepping on my head You're systematically waking up the dead Systematically stepping on my head 
find something Something that you buried in your backyard Position is coming through From all the dirt that you're digging up From all the dirt that you're digging up Now you're heading down to be somewhere Somewhere you imagined in your wildest dream The opposition is coming through From all the people that you're standing on From all the people that you're standing on And now you better take a firm hand Systematic Waking up the dead Systematically Stepping on my head Systematically Waking up the dead Ray Fisher was a traditional singer who played an important part in the folk revival of the 50s and 60s. She toured the world singing the ballads of her native Scotland and recorded albums with influential performers like Martin Carthy. Ray came from a very musical family. Her father sang in the Glasgow Police Choir and her mother taught her songs in Gaelic. Their seven children all sang, but it was Ray and her brother Archie who became the best known. They regularly appeared as a duo on the folk club circuit and on Scottish television. Archie told me about their musical childhood. One of the, the greatest singing experiences used to be when we all piled into the car and went to the seaside on a Sunday. Uh, and that's where we learned our tempo by singing in time to the windscreen wipers of an old Ford Prefect. <laughs>
Ishbel McCaskill was a Gaelic singer who took the Scottish tradition and language around the world. Brought up in the Point area of the Isle of Lewis, Ishbel was a late starter in the music business. She spent the first part of her married life bringing up her four children, so she was in her late 30s when she was spotted by a music producer performing at the Royal National Mod, Scotland's equivalent of the Welsh Eisteddfod. Ishbel soon made her mark as a performer and recording artist and was much in demand at concerts and festivals all over the world. She was a passionate champion of the Gaelic language and culture and taught classes across the highlands and islands. I was singing in Inverness and there was a name on the bill that I didn't recognise and when I met her and I said to her, I'll never forget, tell me a bit about yourself and she said, I'm nobody, I'm just a housewife and then she went on and sang on stage and standing behind, it was, you know, your hair stands on end is the only way of putting it. She had a voice just like nobody else's voice. What else could this possibly be apart from Bill's big bag of onions? Words and music, spoken word and lyrics. What are the connections? You have to decide for yourself.
Christian de Roche-Noblecourt was the French Egyptologist who played a leading role in saving the ancient temples of Nubia from the encroaching waters of the Aswan Dam. Her audacious plan involved dismantling these important historic monuments stone by stone and then moving them to higher ground. Christian was inspired to study Egyptology by magazine articles about the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb in the 1920s. After taking a course at the Louvre Museum in Paris, she joined the French Institute of Oriental Archaeology in Cairo. We spoke to her former colleague in Cairo, Dr. Faiza Haikal, and to Olga Prudhomme, who made a film about her work. She was the first woman to come in this world of men archaeologists, and she remembered it was tough because they did not accept her very well. When Christopher Dean and Jane Torville dominated the world of international ice dancing in the 1980s, a quiet woman often stood behind them. She was their coach, Betty Calloway, who's died aged 83. Betty had originally wanted to be a ballet dancer, but after learning to skate at the Queen's Ice Rink in West London, she found a new vocation. It was whilst Betty was coaching the Hungarian world champions that she was approached by Torville and Dean. Her partnership with them led to three European titles, four world titles and the spectacular perfect scores of their bolero routine in the 1984 Olympics. Betty, I think, more than anything, gave us our wings to do what we wanted to do. She wasn't the kind of coach that imposed her will and she was always supportive, always there. I am Bill Lawrence and you have been listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Join me again soon here on Colm Radio for more voyages through the realms of good music and spoken word. Goodbye. On the all night, talk radio.